again, just really trying to focus today on this simple message of the love of God versus making it a complex message. I think uh, we may have heard it said in the past that the three simplest words we could ever say to anybody are, I love you. Um, I find it interesting. I don't know if you, uh, if you have maybe experienced this over your lifetime, but watching movies and just seeing what the world has to say about love, we are fed pretty much a lie <laughs> through media and Hollywood and uh, my wife and I, we actually enjoy watching rom-coms, romantic comedies. She does not like action or sci-fi or end-of-the-world movies like I do. But we'll sit down and bond over a good rom-com. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, it's called Dying to Self and Loving Your Wife as Christ Loves the Church. So... Um, but something I found interesting in movies, and it, it's, it's almost every single movie concerning love. It's two people fall in love. Somebody finds out something bad about the other person. It, break, it splits them apart. And then somebody does some sort of grand gesture to then proclaim their love. And then the two people get back together, and it's happily ever after. Um, and I was thinking about this. So I have to tell you a little bit about my past, just kind of as a... Um, as a single man, <laughs> and uh, and I was of the um, of the kind of boy that you may have considered a hopeless romantic, and it was that I was always looking for. Kim's laughing. She's chuckling. She's got the silent chuckle shoulder <laughs> shoulder pop going on there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopeless. Um, and for some reason or the other, I, uh, I don't know, I was always like, I was always chasing relationship, right? And I always wanted to be in relationship. And um, I was actually like, when I was in high school, I never had a girlfriend on campus, um, but I had like a lot of crushes. And for some reason, it never seemed to work out. But um, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, well, you know, Kim. Kim would come along. The Lord knew. But I was the grand gesture kind of guy. I was like, Valentine's Day, buy, buy a girl like a big bunch of flowers and like show up. And it's like, hey, I'm here, you know. And and uh, they're probably weirded out by that. Um, there, Yeah, let me just tell you a really cheesy story. Oh, my gosh. There was one time that I went to some store at the mall, and I found like a tiara. And I bought it. And I went and gave it to a girl that I liked. And on a note, I said something like, you know, you're a daughter of the king, which means you're a princess or something crazy like that, right? So I did the, <laughs> Kim's over here laughing, right? So, and and uh, also, like, one time I, I, uh, I took a bunch of sticky notes and wrote all these nice things on them and then, like, plastered the side of this girl's car. And another time, another time I, I took chalk... I took chalk and I like drew around the car and I wrote out in big words something like I love I love the girl who drives this car something stupid like that right so um, it's funny like it, it Kim's just like oh my gosh I can't believe you did that but I was a I was a grand gesture kind of guy and I felt as though these these big huge acts of of love or like or whatever it was um, were gonna like win over the heart of these girls 
Um, and we see this in movies, and it's grand gesture, grand gesture, grand gesture. Um, but what they never show us, and what we never realize, is the amount of uh, the that love is not just a single act, but it's a continuous continuous act, continual over time. So that love is proven to be faithful, and love is proven to be real. And so what I've realized about the Father and His love for us is that He did make a grand gesture. But it wasn't just a grand gesture on its own. It was followed up, and it continues to be followed with love over, hand over fist, over and over again. And so if you've got your your fill uh, fill in, your worksheet today, uh, the first sentence here says, God's grand gesture to us was Jesus on the cross. I wonder if that's where maybe Hollywood and (laughs) movie makers have gotten this overt, over-the-top gesture of love to where they go out of their way and, and, and do things. But what I realize about the love of God is that it wasn't just a grand gesture. It's that there was sacrifice attached to that love. And so it's not just giving of himself, but it was a giving up of himself. It was a relinquishing of who he was. Jesus didn't see his deity as something to be grasped, right? But he laid it down for us. That he gave up all that he was and he left his seat in the heavenlies. And he came, he took on the form of man and he walked the earth in a perfect manner so that he could come and show his love for people. So as Jesus came from heaven to earth, he came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, our dead faith, right? So there's this grand gesture, but leading up to the cross, which was this massive act of love for us, he also showed his love for people in the way that he interacted with them on a day-to-day basis, living a sinless life, living in perfection, but also interacting with people on an individual level, going out of his way so that he could go through Samaria, right, so that he can meet the woman at the well, so he could show his love for her, right? Showing people his love in the way that he responded to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and as she was put on trial in front of all of the Pharisees, and all of the religious people. Essentially, they were asking Jesus to give a verdict over this woman's sin as she was caught in adultery, laying there, knowing that she was guilty. And then Jesus in love says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Showing his love through mercy and forgiveness. Showing his love through healing. Showing his love for Lazarus as he wept over the death of his friend. And then by the power (laughs) of God raising him from the dead. And as Jesus walked the earth, all he did was show us his love. And I feel as though on the cross we have a a perfect representation of the love of God in a sacrificial way when Jesus meets the greatest offense given to any man on the face of the planet through all time. He came and he lived among us And he was the light of men, but they neither knew him 
nor received him. They actually rejected him. So creation rejected its creator and yelled, crucify him, crucify him, and spit on his face and ripped his beard, cast lots for his clothing as he hung naked in front of the world, filled with shame. And in that final act of love, Jesus looks out upon the greatest offense and says, forgive them, they know not what they do. A sacrificial, forgiving love that holds no room for condition. This beautiful, beautiful love. But here's what we need to know about the love of God is that God's love lives beyond the gesture and the simplicity of life. And I think that's so important for us. It's so important because if I don't know if you have ever been in a, in a relationship um, or if you're married now or what you've experienced concerning love is that love, it's not always a good feeling that you have in your stomach. It's not always dopamine <laughs> hitting your brain, right? The, this, um, this gland excreting these or secreting these endorphins that give you a good feeling in the pleasure center of your brain. It's not always a continue. You don't always feel that, right? Love isn't always a grand gesture. God's love began with a grand gesture, but it moves past that and lives beyond it into the simplicity of life so that when you feel as though you're not at your best or you've become the person that you said you would never become, or you do the things that you swore up and down that you would never do in that place of darkness and brokenness and hopeless and ickiness. You ever just feel icky? You ever just feel unworthy? You ever just feel like you're the end of the, at the end of the at the end of the rope? You're just like I can't do it anymore. And you're in that place and you hate yourself more than you've ever hated yourself. You're disgusted with yourself more than you've ever been disgusted with yourself. And you know that you've gone against God and you've sinned or you've been negligent or you've been passive or you've been active or you've been or inactive or, or content, complacent with the way things are. And you're there in that place and you ask yourself the question, how could God ever love me? with where I am right now. And into that place, the father whispers, I love you. It was from that place on the cross that I believe God said, I love you. It is finished. And he laid down his life. And there was earthquakes and the earth turned to darkness in the middle of the day. And he yelled it for all of the world to hear. But in those moments where we need it the most, he whispers it, I love you. And why do you think he does that? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. <laughs> it's interesting when we want to get our point across, either we get louder or we get quieter. All right. Sometimes we want to yell. Sometimes we just, I love you. Kim always jokes about being dramatic. She says, just say it twice. I love you. I love you. <laughs> but it's what he does. 
It's what he does. It lives beyond into the simplicity of life. And his love is never changing and his love is ever growing and it's patient and it's kind. It's so beautiful. He shouted from the cross, I love you. And he whispers in the dark, I love you. And so what I want to try and help along if in any way, shape, or form that I could help this along, maybe simply by agreeing and proclaiming a hope that we can grasp the love of God. I hope that we can, we can grasp it and really truly understand it and, and believe it and allow it to fill those places of unbelief in our minds, wherever we've filled in some sort of condition for God's love for us. If I could just, if I would just, if I then, if I could, then God would love me. And there are those places that may exist in our mind. And I'm just asking that the Lord would rewire that for us. Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so father, we ask for that renewing. So Ephesians three fourteen through 21 says this, for this reason, I kneel before the father. And this is Paul and he's praying for believers. And he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. And so he's praying a, he's praying that the people of God would have the power of God in them to just be able to understand together in a united fashion, how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. And when I look at that, if you think about how wide and long and high and deep, I just imagined measurements and that when you put all of those measurements together and you find this like this um, area, <laughs> right, of what this love fills, it just, it makes me think of like a 3D image, right? It's long and high and wide and deep. It's, it's this thing that is, is multi-dimensional. That's what 3D means, right? Like two-dimensional, three-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional love. And to, in order to understand a multi-dimensional love, we must ask <laughs> this multi-dimensional being to give us power to grasp it. I heard somebody say um, that in order to understand a peace that passes all understanding, we have to give up our right to understand. I think I've said this before. And so let's go on. It says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure and the fullness of God. So the love that God has for us surpasses knowledge. It doesn't mean that it's ever something that we're going to be able to grasp in our brain because our brain is analytical. And our brain tries to make sense of things. That's all our brain is. If you've ever, um, do you guys remember that image that went around on the internet and it was that dress that someone had taken a picture of and some people saw one color and some people saw another. And then recently there was that, uh, the audio that some people heard one 
word and some people heard the other. Does anybody remember what those words were? What? Laurel Yanny. It's so interesting. So what that says to me is that everybody's brains... When we see and when we hear things, we try and make sense of it. And some people's brain defaults to one way and some people's brains default to another. And it's not that I think one way is right or not right, but that they see it and then the brain says, I need to make sense of this so it creates something that may not even be right. And so how much have we ever tried to really understand the love of God for us And then we say, I just can't even make any sense of that. Like there's been times where I've thought about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I've thought to myself, that's just, that's impossible. I don't understand. I don't get it. And I think when I come to that conclusion, it's me saying, yeah, I don't get it. And that's good because it surpasses knowledge. And it's that the spirit of God in me by faith grasps a hold of what is unbelievable And believes it. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God begins, I believe, or part, a facet of that is really by the power of the Spirit in us being able to grasp how deep and how wide and how long and how high the love of Christ is for us. And Paul is praying this for his people because he's saying, look, if you guys can get this, if, if, By the spirit in you, you can understand this love. Everything's going to change. Linda prayed that. If we could just grasp it, everything changes. Everything changes. We don't live our lives walking around in guilt and shame anymore, knowing that we're loved and forgiven and that we're children no matter what. And I think that oftentimes we just continue to drag that ball and chain around all our guilt and all our sin. And we're like, you love me, God, but I just, I, I see this and then I see you and I see your love and I see my sin and I see me and then I see you and I just don't understand or I don't believe it or I can't believe it or I won't believe it. Ask yourself this question. And maybe it doesn't apply to you, but I feel me apply to some. What is stopping me from allowing the Father to radically love me beyond all condition? Scripture goes on to say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. Paul goes on to say this. He's like, look, God loves you so much and I want you to understand that. And I pray that by the power in you that he would allow you to understand and grasp that. And so we just need to give honor and praise to God because he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Another version says anything that we can think. And so even in our own minds, we are limited to understand the possibilities in God. And so think about the biggest thing you could ever ask for from the father and he can do immeasurably beyond that immeasurably, infinitely beyond what we can even think or imagine. 
And so if I say, God, I can't imagine you ever loving me unconditionally, God can do immeasurably far beyond loving you the way that you think that he loves you. So even if you can't grasp it, even if you can't believe it or think it or understand it, by faith we can know that God can do immeasurably more than that. And so we don't serve a limited God, but a limitless God. And let me just say by the book, the very book that proclaims a God who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we can think, let us not hem him in with the pages of the Bible. He can do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. And so this word love here, how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ is actually the word agape. I've taught a little bit on this. Maybe you've heard me teach about it a little bit. Kim likes to talk about the four loves. But agape love means a preferential love. And not only means unconditional, but it means preferential, which means God prefers you. It means you can make this statement of yourself, I am preferred by God. And when I talk about preference, like I don't prefer olives <laughs> and I don't prefer balsamic vinegar, right? I don't prefer these things. They're not my favorite. They're not what I would choose if they were on a salad bar or, you know, an option for a meal. I wouldn't choose these things. And so we have choice and we can decide what we want and what we don't want. And we do oftentimes and our very lives are a reflection of the things we have chosen, the things that we haven't chosen. And what God's love says about us is that he prefers us. God, out of all the people in the world, out of all the people who have ever preached your gospel, out of all the people who have ever walked the straight and narrow, out of all the people who have ever evangelized and won millions to you and you know, God, I see all these people and I play the comparison game and I'm not him and I'm not her and I'm not that and I'm not this and I don't know that I'll ever this and that and we try and qualify ourselves by qualifiers that are not qualifiers at all or invaluable in the eyes of the Lord. And then he looks at you and he says, yeah, I, I prefer Caleb. <laughs> right? He prefers us to love us. And if there's anything I know about the love of God is that it's a, it's a pursuing love and that he woos us to him and that he draws us to him in so many different ways. And he's patient with us. He's given immense patience with us, not wanting any of us to perish, but to come to a saving knowledge of Christ and to know his love for us. And he's just so patient. He's so patient. He's just waiting. Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. And he's saying, I just can't wait until you come to me so you can know that love and quit trying to qualify yourself outside of Christ. So 1 John 3, 1, it says, consider the kind of extravagant love. This is the voice 
version it says, consider the kind of extravagant love the father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. It's true. We are his beloved children. And in the same way, the world didn't recognize him. The world does not recognize us either. But I wanted to focus real quick just on this definition of extravagant. And it means this. It means exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate. It's absurd. It's lacking restraint in spending money or using resources. I love that. I love that. Exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate, it's actually absurd. God's love is unreasonable. (laughs) God's love is inappropriate. (laughs) What does that mean? God's love is absurd. God, your love is absurd. I know. I made it that way. That's absurd. He did this, that, and the other, and she did this, that, and the other to you, and I can't believe they did that. That's absurd. Why would anybody ever do that? How can you even stay with that person? How are you still going to love them? I know it's absurd, but I can't help but love because it's who I am. I love that definition. It says lacking restraint in spending money or using resources. It's also the that that very definition also means prodigal. The prodigal son meant the son that was lacking in restraint in spending money or using resources. He took his inheritance, all that his father had to give him, and he went and he squandered it. He had no restraint in the way that he spent. And it's interesting that when we look at that 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 story, we always talk about the father. And, you know, how he received his son back, and that's the love of the father. Interestingly, that the son who was prodigal was showing us the love of the father in the way that he was spending without restraint, saying, I'm not going to hold back. That's essentially what he's saying. Our God loves us in a way that he says, I'm not holding back. (laughs) I can imagine him just kind of in a, sarcastic kind of funny way just going I am going to love you till the day you die and there's nothing you can do about it okay okay I just love that God's love is absurd it lacks restraint or spending money or using resources God has this this infinite amount of love and grace for us and he's just saying more more more, more, more. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. I wish there were a way that we could just maybe understand that that example, that that illustration. I just I just pictured a waterfall, and if you've ever seen a waterfall, does it ever stop? How's that happen? It's an infinite flow. Imagine one day you're just standing there just like, dude, who turned the waterfall off? (laughs) Who did that? I mean, obviously man can get in the way and dam it up. But a natural flowing river hitting the edge of the mountain and water just flowing and flowing and flowing day and night over and over again for thousands and depending on where you fall in the you know creation understanding maybe millions of years maybe both 
This water's just flowed and flowed and flowed. How hard would it be for you by yourself as one person to stop the flow of a waterfall? On your own, without machinery, without, I mean, could you do it? As a matter of fact, what would happen? What if you went and stood under that waterfall? It'd knock you down. (laughs) It'd push you over. If in the physical, we can't stop the flow of a waterfall, why do we think that in the spiritual, we can stop the flow of God's love for us? So why do we think the things we've done or the things we've not done or the person that we were or the person that we think we want to be in order to be worthy could stop God from pouring out his love over us the way that he, by his nature, with an absurd, inappropriate, unreasonable way, continues to pour his love out on us? I love that. God, your love is absurd. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to us. And then just one last scripture here. 1 John 4, 18 through 19 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has nothing to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then it says this, We love because he first loved us. So there's all sorts of stuff we could say about fear. Like maybe we think that God is out to get us or that he's going to punish us. Or it's like we see our sin and we're just like, there has to be consequences for this sin. God, I don't understand how you're just saying that I'm forgiven for that. Like some of us are just waiting to see if our sin's going to catch up with us. And somehow God is going to be like, ha ha ha, I brought you this far. And look at all your sin. I was just kidding. So we're, we shouldn't be afraid or live in fear, but we can have freedom knowing that the love, the love of God is perfect and can drive out fear. But I want to focus on that phrase, we love because he first loved us. Our love is a response to his love. His love is not a response to our action. Here's the final spot, the, the, final, the final statement. His love is not a response to our doing, but an outflow of his being. It's not a response to our doing. Even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. A sacrificial, unconditional, preferential, absurd, unreasonable, lavish love and unrestrained love for us manifesting and being in existence even before we were in existence. Before we could ever do or not do, God's love for us existed. So what makes us think that now that as we exist, our doing or not doing affects God's love for us? Linda, remember how a couple of weeks ago I told you that um, we... uh, I essentially felt like I'd been kind of teaching the same thing over and over, but it's just like from a different viewpoint. (laughs) 
But here's the thing, and here's what I know, and I, I learned, I heard this from somebody else. Somebody else, I'm just regurgitating it, but I think it makes sense. So, as um, there are two kinds of thinking. There's Greek thinking, which is like analytical. Um, one plus two equals three, right? We come to conclusions based on facts, and and then it leads us here. So, like you know, one, two, three, right? If I said, "Hey, this is the third page," you would say, "Well, where's page one and two? In Hebrew thinking, they think holistically, like spherically, dimensionally. I think that's why Paul said, how long, how wide, how deep, how high the love. He says it's not just a love that we can understand. It's not thinking. It's not analytics that bring us to this conclusion. We've got to see it from every side to even become to, to a place where we understand that which is beyond our grasping And I was telling Linda how, as uh, you know, rabbis and the Hebrew world, they would they would look at a topic, and they would come at it from every angle. And it wasn't teaching on a different topic; it was talking all about the same concept and idea, but giving you a 360 multi-dimensional viewpoint of that one thing, so that we could really truly understand from every angle that one subject and I feel as though as the Lord has been leading me to teach some of these things he's saying look I'm trying to come at this thing from every which angle I can to help you in your thoughts and in your brokenness and in your feelings of guilt and your shame and your unworthiness I'm trying to tell you in all of this how I feel about you it's like a diamond you know, there's been times where Kim and I have have gotten into arguments and there's there's been times where I, I've just told her, like, gosh, I wish you could just know. Like, I wish you could just feel and sense, like, inside of my being, I wish you could know the love that I have for you. And God, I wish my words held weight at this point in time, even though my actions haven't. And just everything in me is saying, I just wish you could understand. And I feel like God is saying, look, my words and my actions over and over and over and over and over again. Everything that I am, I'm crying out to you. And I'm saying, I love you. And for some of us, we're just like, I don't believe you, God. And he's tearing up, looking at his little children. He's saying, but I need you to know that I love you. And one day you'll understand. I know you don't understand now, but one day you will. And no matter what, I'm going to keep telling you and I'm going to keep showing you. And I'm not going anywhere. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. As my son or my daughter, that will make me not love you anymore.
So, Father, I pray that your love for us will just sink in deep, God. And that just in this time, Lord, we would allow guilt and shame and feelings of unworthiness to just melt away, God. Like mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Would you just melt away all of our opposition to your absurd love for us? Let us leave this place knowing that we're loved through and through, regardless, without condition, and you're loving us without restraint, and you're pouring it out on us in a lavish kind of way, God. God, I don't know what You're good, God. You're good. I just think we should just respond to him with words and you can say them out loud, you can whisper them, you can yell them, you can just whatever you need to say to the Lord in this moment. God, I just say I love you too. <laughs>